0: My name is Davis Smith, I'm the CEO of Cotopaxi and an MBA graduate of the Wharton School. The Latter-day Saint MBA Society was founded by a group of MBA students and alumni who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with the hope of bringing together a community of business people striving to bless the world. In this podcast, you'll hear interviews with Latter-day Saint thought leaders that we hope will inspire you both in your professional and spiritual life. For more information about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society, visit latterdaysaintmba.com. And now, I'll pass it over to Kurt Francom, who will host this week's interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Latter-day
1: Saint MBA podcast. Uh, today, I'm sitting down with Richard Flores. How are you, Richard?
2: I'm doing great. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to uh, jump into this discussion. It's going to be a little bit different than maybe some of the past conversations we have because typically I am interviewing, you know, a gray haired established professional who has sold five companies at this point and just just figured out all things, you know, MBA related. But uh, you are currently an MBA student. Is that right? That's correct. Have have not figured it all out. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I think you're on a, a good trajectory here since you're you're currently attending the Harvard business, uh, the Harvard business school. And, it uh, was that always a dream for you? It was Harvard. Some, for some I my interview it was Harvard or nothing, but what was it like for you?
2: <laughs> it, uh, it certainly was a dream. Uh, I wouldn't say it was Harvard or nothing. I definitely applied to some other schools and, um, would gladly have gone to some other schools. Um, but it was a dream for a long time. You know, I went on my mission. Uh, at the time, I was a music major at BYU. I played the bassoon. Um, and so I was per- pursuing a career in, in music performance and music education and, uh, you know, went on my mission and had many experiences that kind of led me another way and was introduced to some Harvard MBAs. And so kind of heard about this experience and thought that might be a good path. And so kind of coming home from my mission, it was how can I get there? Um, and ultimately worked out somehow, but, uh, yeah.
1: So it's been a dream for a while for me. Nice. So you, you, you play the bassoon, is that right?
2: Yes super nice. common i'm sure you've heard a lot of bassoon music in your days
1: have you seen the old church uh movie called the phone call yeah it's great <laughs> there's a line in there that says i'm like it's it's bassoon it's like balloon without the l's or something right that's exactly right <laughs> that's my only when i think of bassoon that's what my brain um, so i need to know puts out so so it was the, the plan to uh, you know playing a, a symphony or I mean, was it the, the career uh, focused around that music major and the bassoon or?
2: Yeah, I think uh, when I had gone on my mission um, I was pretty split between playing in a symphony, which um, probably includes teaching on the side and maybe some other gigs, but, but that was kind of 50% what my path was going to be, or, you know, I have a real passion for music education. Mm. Um, and so becoming a, a music teacher and, you know, a, a band director at a high school, uh, yeah. I, I was, pretty torn between those two paths.
1: Nice. Nice. So let's maybe lay a foundation of some of uh, your personal history. Where were you born and raised?
2: I was born in Southern California in a, in a city called Riverside. Um, my parents ended up getting divorced when I was pretty young. And so I moved with my mom to American Fork, Utah um, and grew up there. Uh, spent uh, a bit of time in Riverside visiting my dad, but grew up mostly in American Fork. Um nice which shout out to all of my AF friends and, and the marching man there. That's uh, right. But uh, grew up in American Fork, always you know, loved the proximity of BYU and kind of always had it in my mind that that's where I wanted to go um, and ended up studying with the bassoon professor there in high school. And so it was just a really natural connection, a, a strong draw for me uh, to go to BYU. So that's where I ended up going. Nice. Uh, served a, a mission uh, for two years in London. Uh, which I loved and then came back to BYU where I kind of started pivoting towards the business uh, area, studied economics and business strategy um, and graduated from BYU where I met my wife.
1: So was your upbringing pretty, I mean uh, obviously you were, did your mother remarry or were you in a single parent home? Most of the time. Uh,
2: My mom did not remarry. So it was me and her, uh, I have a sister that's about 13 years older than me Mm -hmm. that was um, in the home for a while and then close by for a while um, I had a grandma close by, um, yeah. and definitely had a lot of people in my life that, nice. uh, you know, it definitely felt like I had a, a larger family there and I had a lot of cousins around. Um, but yeah, I was raised by my mom. Uh, my dad remarried and w- would visit them in California quite frequently, yeah. as I mentioned. Um, but yeah, American for so, Utah. Where it all so happened. How would
0: you,
1: uh, obviously being in Utah County, you know, very faith centered, uh, you know, community, but how would you describe your, your personal faith development?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, I am, I am one that has wanted to, to have kind of a faith and security in that faith. Um, so I'd say like the faith aspect was never really a a challenge for me. Um, it was something that I was really drawn to from a young age. And I think, um, the community certainly helped and having people around me with strong testimonies helped. Um, but it it was something that, that I felt like it came naturally and it it was always really exciting to me. Um, on the mission I had some experiences that were challenging and, and caused me to question. Um, but as I found answers for myself and through prayer and through work, it, it even strengthened those things even more. So, um, it was definitely a journey, but I think I was blessed to, to be in the right circumstances for it to kind of flourish from a young age for me.
1: Yeah. And then uh, what about your high school academics? Was it, uh, it was, you know, the, was it always a a big focus for you or the, you, the straight egg, you know, kid that was always uh, studying and and make sure you're hitting those marks. I did study pretty hard. Um, I think
2: my high school free time was pretty much non-existent because I was either practicing my bassoon at band or orchestra practice or studying. Um, so I I was a pretty studious kid. I tried to have fun, but, um, I also just loved my hobbies and and education at that point. So I tried to focus there.
1: Yeah. What, what could you uh, tell us as far as like just the the dynamic of the the marching band? And, and I assume American Fork High School has a very, you know, music focus. I don't know, the administration or the teachers that are there. But I mean, if somebody forced me to, to tell them one thing about American Fork High School, I think all I would say is, well, they have a pretty good marching band. I know that. So, yep. so <laughs> what is it about American Fork High School that that produces this remarkable marching band?
2: Uh, I think it comes down to uh, a couple people. Um, Don Peterson was the band director there many years before I joined. Um, but he ended up being the band director at BYU for a, a, a good amount of time, I think 20 years. Um, and he was phenomenal, right? He, he kind of took the program out of obscurity and, and created kind of a force within the state. Um, one of the top few bands. Uh, and then when he went to BYU, American Fork hired uh, a man named John Miller, who um, was my band director for the whole time I was there. And he just had a way to build a program. Uh, And I think that's definitely something that I've been inspired with uh, as I think about the business world and and about my future career, Um, but how he created a program from top down where he really involved the parents and involved the students um, underneath this kind of like top notch musical education that he provided. Um, He he was, I don't want to say a genius, but he was, you know, brilliant musically um, and a genius in how he cultivated this, um, the spirit from top to bottom from the, the elementary education all the way to the top of the high school um, that really brought everyone in uh, and had them invested in the program. So it's, it's investment from the students. It's huge investment from the parents and the community. Um, and that success just kind of breeds success and breeds excitement. And I think we've been, uh, someone's going to call me out on this, but I think American Forks has been state champions for like 30 years in a row now. So it's, yeah. it, it it continues to progress. You know, John Miller has gone, um, he, he's gone into retirement and, and got on some missions, but, uh, you know, the program continues and the new band director is great, but it's, it's really this kind of, this invigoration of the community that has kept it going, I think.
1: Yeah. And did the, did, so with, uh, John Miller, did, when you saw him, did you think, you know, that's, that's who I want to be when I grow up? Was that was part of the influence?
2: Certainly a huge influence for me. Um, even now that I've left kind of the music community, um, just his, uh, his excitement and his vigor for what he did has instilled with me this desire to find, you know, a passion that I can, can work in. Um, and just as an example of how he carried himself and how he treated others has, has stayed yeah. with me for sure.
1: Yeah. And then I would imagine, I mean, being part of the the marching band there, there's some intensity to that, that program. Do you, how do you feel, feel like that's prepared you for the intensity of of Harvard that you're experiencing now?
2: I think it's it's certainly intense. Um, I think that there was like a, a, a joke we always said, but it actually, I think, carries a, a bit of weight in how I try to live my life. Um, but the joke was, we're working hard and we're having fun. Um, and I think that kind of balance of, you know, it was super intense and we worked really hard, but because of that, it bred success and it bred a lot of experiences that we just had a blast together. Uh, and I think I try to kind of take that attitude to everything I do where you work super hard, but because of that, you're going to have the experiences that are, are going to be super fun and you're going to make relationships that last a lifetime and you're going to find people that teach you new things. And and that's something at Harvard that I've certainly experienced.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. And so with the, you, you go through high school and then, I mean, was mission always part of the plan or was that a tough decision for you at all?
2: It, it was always part of the plan. Um, I think one, it, it seemed like a, a good experience for me. And then two, it, it was also, Um, part of the culture in a good way where all of my friends were going on missions, all of my cousins had served missions, my sister had served a mission. Um, And so it became the expectation. And, and I know for some that can be kind of a heavy or a negative expectation, but for me, it felt really exciting and really encouraging. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, it was always in the plan. Uh, I think I got, you know, I think everyone's called to where they need to be, but London certainly provided the experiences that, that I needed. And it's a place that's dear to my heart today.
1: Yeah. Was the the uh, mission the impetus for changing from music to business or when did that moment happen? It
2: really was, and I don't think it was the mission
1: itself per se, and that like it
2: taught me something that like I wanted to go away from music. I think there were there were a few things that I learned. One, I felt a lot of the fulfillment on my mission that I had felt while doing music. Uh, And I realized that fulfillment, well, while I love music, I think the fulfillment came from like a deep sense of purpose and my like deep sense of extroversion where I was talking with people and always working with people. And I realized that's what I loved about music. It was the people I was with, it was going to practice. uh, And I didn't necessarily miss the, the work that's required of a musician to sit in a practice room for three hours a day and, and just practice, practice, practice it's super important and you can't really get to the top without it. And I just, I just yearned for being around people more than I would have been able to. And so I think I I realized, okay, maybe, maybe there's another path I can take. I don't know what that looks like, but maybe there's something else I want to do. Um, and then I really loved kind of the international flavor that my mission brought. Um, and there's certainly an international path with music, but I felt like something in business might provide more opportunities there. Um, again, this was a, a 19, 20 year old that had really no idea what I was doing, but it felt, it felt good. Uh, and then as I came home to my mission from my mission and started studying more, it, it felt like the right fit. Yeah. It was yeah, I any- I what I was doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> was anybody just like, was your mom disappointed that you were you're hanging up the bassoon for, <laughs> for business school? Uh,
2: did- <laughs> maybe, uh, my, my band director was certainly disappointed. Uh, mm. John Miller, love you. Yeah. Um, and my bassoon instructor at, at BYU, Christian Smith was also, I think a bit disappointed. Uh, and we, you know, I had studied with him since I was a, I think a freshman or sophomore in high school. So I had a, a good relationship with him. He was a, he was a great mentor to me. Um, and so it was definitely hard to have those conversations. Um, and you know, I've, I've, I've always wondered like what, what would have happened if I had stayed in the music world? Uh, where would I be today? What would I be doing? Um, but it's something I'm okay living with. And, you know, I, I, we'll never forget the things that I learned or like the experiences I had cause they've helped define me. Um, but it, it was a tough transition away from that for sure.
1: Yeah. Is there any advice you'd give to maybe other undergrads who are strongly considering switching to business. This is uh, my story as well as I started out uh, as a, as an art major, but then decided, well, I don't want to be a starving artist for the rest of my life. And I switched to uh, business marketing. Um, but what was it like for you? Well, like what advice would you give to people who are sort of in the midst of uh, weighing this option?
2: I think the advice I would give is you need to find the decision that, that feels right. Like it might not always be super clear. Um, but study it out in your mind, kind of like the scriptures say, and then make the decision that you feel is right. And, you know, pray and and see what what kind of answer God gives you. But once you make that decision, you kind of got to go with it. Not that you can't switch later on, but you can't, you can't keep second guessing yourself or or keep wondering what if, um, because that will, you know, just cause doubt. So, you know, do your best to make the decision that feels right. And there's a little bit of gut in there. I've learned to trust my gut more over the years. Uh, and then just go full steam ahead, trust yourself, make the jump. If, if that's what you feel like is right. Um, and it'll work out how it needs to work out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. And then w- once you did make that switch, you know, you a- began some classes and whatnot. Was, uh, was that an ex- like, you realized did that help sort of confirm the decision? Were you excited about the content you were learning? And, and exploring? yeah, well,
2: I, funnily enough, I took, I think three or four business classes, uh, as a pre-business major or whatever it's called. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't like them. Uh, but I loved my economics classes, and so I switched to to economics as my major. Uh, and I kind of wondered if that was a sign, but it ended up working out fine. Um, but what really invigorated me was finding kind of the consulting track, or uh, so like the strategy mm-hmm. program at BYU and the the path to the consulting world. Um, and that seemed really excited to me, uh, re- really exciting to me. And so that's when I kind of felt like, okay, I'm doing the right thing for me and going in a direction that I think will take me where I want to go. And, you know, ultimately lead to Harvard business school, which was kind of the dream I had. Um, yeah. but it was terrifying. Yeah. I was super scared.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and then you, what year did you graduate? I graduated BYU in 2016. Okay. And then, uh, the, the interview started, I mean, cause you, you end up with, with uh, Bain and company and that's sort of, I mean, that's a, a desire of a lot of business students, right? Yeah.
2: So I interned with them in 2015. So I think I interviewed in like January, 2015. Um, now they keep moving it earlier and earlier and people are interviewing, you know, um, when they're coming out of elementary school, um, so it, just, it just keeps getting more intense. But um, I, I interviewed with them uh, kind of middle of my sophomore year. Is that correct? No, no, no. Middle of my junior year for my junior internship. Um. And that was a really cool experience. Uh, I had so many people help me with the interview process and BYU has a really great community of, uh, of people that help each other through interviews and, and prepare. Um, and I think it, it was kind of, uh, a coming together of, I, I worked super hard, uh, and I also got really lucky. Um, there are so many people that are qualified for this job and more qualified than me. Um, that for some reason didn't get it. And I happened to get it that day and, and that's just how it goes. Um, yeah. but I'm super grateful that I got that internship. It, it was a really good experience and, and led to, you know, the beginning of my career.
1: Yeah. And, um, what would you say to somebody who's planning to interview with, with Bain and company as far as preparation or, uh, I don't know what color shirt they should wear or I mean, any advice you'd have in somebody preparing to, who wants to internship and, and work with Bain.
2: Uh, yeah, I think, reach out to to the resources provided by your school um, because there are so many people have done this it's a it's an established path um, and there are people there to help you um, uh, practice cases obviously is is a huge part of it um, and, and then network in in an authentic way i think you know the more you can meet people and, and ask them questions about themselves and about their experiences um, beyond what you can find on the website I think those are important things because you know, these people answer the same questions, you know, 10 times a day to different people. And so you want to find something that is going to be interesting to them uh, and make the conversation worth their time so that they remember you um, and are, and are excited about what you have to bring to the table.
1: Yeah. And then how long were you with, uh, with Bain?
2: I was with Bain for three years. Um, Pretty standard track pre-consulting, I guess you might say most people do two to three years, Mm -hmm. but then I left the firm, um, which I think, uh, is also super common, um, but it's becoming increasingly common to kind of leave management consulting before going to business school. Um, I think one thing I didn't appreciate when I started Bain was how competitive the MBA application process is from consulting firms. Mm. Uh, and that wasn't necessarily the main factor in my leaving or, or even the driving force. Um, but I think leaving Bain getting some additional experience elsewhere certainly helped me get to the, the MBA program that I'm in right now.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. And it seems like that's the typical path, right? That you, you go to a consulting firm to, you know, a lot of times Bain spend three or four years and then there's another company that maybe you work with that sort of uh, entices you away and, and you get to work with them for a while. Right.
2: Yep. That's exactly nice.
1: right. So I, I went to capital one uh, for two
2: years. So my wife is a lawyer. She was in, she, so we were in Dallas together for three years she uh went to law school while we were there and then got a job out in DC and so i was looking for something uh that i would travel less um where i would work with similar people that i was in consulting with um oh she also gave birth to our first son um 3 weeks before she graduated from law school so oh my goodness first of all my wife's incredible uh, <laughs> but second of all uh i was looking for a job that would kind of help us transition to the you know two parents working uh with a kid um Kind of trying to get our feet under us, and, and Capital One gave me a lot of those things that I was looking for.
1: Nice. I, I suddenly want to start a, a law school podcast just to interview your wife. It's amazing. <laughs> she, she'd be great for this podcast. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Wow. Three weeks before graduating, uh, I don't. I don't know if if you guys did the math or if it happened or <laughs> probably not a, a path you'd recommend. I don't know.
2: It's, it's tough, right? Because she was going to start her first job, you know, at the end of the summer, and uh-huh. so we realized. there there wasn't a good time. And that's, that's something that's been a common theme in in our marriage and in our family is realizing that there's not a great time to make a lot of the decisions that we needed to make. Um, and so doing what we feel like is best for us and just trusting that it will work out. Um, she gave birth to our second child, uh, my second week of business school. Um, I guess we just hate parental leave is what, what I'm learning. Um, (laughs) but she gave birth to to our second son, my second week of business school. And and she didn't have a job at the point. So my wife is wonderful and gave up her job so we could come here to business school with, without kind of a job in hand. Um, Mm. and the day she gave birth, uh, sorry, the night before she gave birth, she got her offer for the job that she has now, which is a crazy good job. Um, but just kind of proof to us that as we kind of put our trust in God do the thing that we think is right and that we feel the best about, it will work out how it needs to work out.
1: Yeah. And this is a, I think a a question and a topic that a lot of, uh, you know, young Latter-day Saints students deal with and others as well, but, but this, you know, starting a family, there's a big emphasis on family and in our, in our faith tradition and whatnot. And I see some of my younger, um, siblings, you know, my, my in-law siblings who are in the midst of school and graduate school. And, and there, there's sort of this feeling of, oh, we'll, we'll do that. We'll put the family off, you know, we'll have kids later. And, and of course it's everybody's individual decision, sure. but a part of me thinks, you know, there's really no good time to do this. It's either during a busy school or busy new career, or, you know, just jump in and, and this will do it. And, and for my personal story, my wife and I experienced, you know, five or six years of infertility before we had our first kid. And so it's like, even if you wait, this whole biological process may even push you out further. And so, I don't know, that's a part of me. And maybe I'm I'm getting old where I'm just like, no, just have the kids just jump in. There's not a best time for, for really any of this. So just jump in and you'll find these remarkable blessings and are worth whatever, uh, whatever busyness or stress that you're dealing with in life. Right.
2: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I, I think the small caveat I would give is there is a worse time to have a kid and we're to avoid those. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like <laughs> nice. she's, she's going into a clerkship kind of the year following business school and like that would be really, really tough to do uh-huh. during the clerkship. And so uh-huh. yeah, maybe yeah. that's, you know, too much information for a podcast, but, <laughs> uh, but we are trying to be as, as intentional as we can and, and have faith. Uh,
1: yeah for the remainder. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that's worth, worth discussing for sure. Um, all right. So obviously the plan was always to go to MBA school. Was there a certain, like in your mind as you started with, with Bain, was there like, I'm going to, you know, do this for a certain amount of years or how did you begin to gauge when you'd start, uh, actually applying for MBA school?
2: So I think it, it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to do it. Um, I think it depended on, a couple of things. One, when I felt like I was ready and in a, like a competitive spot where I felt like I had kind of the skills and the, the story to tell, um, that would, would help me get into business school and to what my wife's career looked like. And so when things became clear that she really, uh, was headed towards a career in, in Washington, DC, um, it kind of didn't necessarily jive with my plan to go at that moment to one of my top few business schools. Um, And it made sense to say, okay, let's, let's do this time in DC and then apply to my top business schools and and see if I get in and we could reevaluate. Um, and so I think that timeline allowed me a little bit more flexibility to figure out, you know, who, who am I as a professional? What do I want to get out, um, of, of an MBA experience and gave me a little bit more time to prepare as well. Um,
1: Yeah. 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 And, and with hindsight now, any advice you'd give to others sort of in that, uh, in that in-between, uh, zone between their undergrad and and MBA school?
2: Work super hard at what you're doing. Um, I think the, the old adage from, from president Uchtdorf to, to lift where you stand is probably the most, uh, valuable for me, the most valuable advice for me. Um, because ultimately if you're doing your best where you are, uh, living in the present and really focusing on being present where you're at, um, you'll, you'll make way for the kind of experiences that you need to have. You'll make the kind of relationships that you need to have um, that will kind of lead you in the right direction um while i was at bain i uh I, I tried to do that and i met a few people that were really instrumental in helping me be prepared for for hbs and, and get here and then while i was at capital one i i made an effort to to kind of dig in and, and make as much impact as i could which led to some relationships that have been super valuable for my life so i, I think just lift where you stand um you know, with a with an eye on the future, but you can't you can't not be
1: present where you're at. Nice, that's helpful. So, uh, tell us about the application process. Is there a story behind that, or a strategy that uh, you said you you applied to more places than HBS? But what what did that look like?
2: Yeah. So, uh, again, ha- I had to bear in mind what what is this going to look like for my wife, who is uh, going to make a career change, most likely because of uh, my, my application to school. Um, and so I had to time it out. So I I applied to to two schools in the beginning. Um, and if I didn't get into those two schools, I had kind of the next two schools that I was going to apply to round two, um, and, and hope it would work out with one of those four schools. And if not, I might apply a year later, but basically I, I knew the two schools that I wanted to apply to first. Um, I went through the application process, uh, by kind of reading everything that I needed to, to do to apply Um, but the most valuable for me was really finding those people in my life that could give me a guiding hand. Um, I was not necessarily in a place where I felt like I could afford coaches. Um, but I think if you can afford coaches, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's super valuable to, to have someone who knows more about the process, guide you along that process. Um, but like I mentioned, I, I had a couple of mentors from Bain, uh, that were at Harvard Business School. Um, were also members of the church, which was, which was really amazing. Um, and they gave me a huge guiding hand and really showed me kind of the ins and outs of of what I need to do. So I'd say reach out to people, everyone that has been through a similar experience will be willing to help and willing to guide you. Um, and then there was an element of, as I was writing my application essay, which I think is probably the most important thing for both schools that I applied to, um, to really find an authentic story about myself. So it was not just I I don't want to say creating a story, but but figuring out what I was hoping to get out of the experience and also like what really drives me as a person. Um, And that takes a lot of iteration to really get at because I'm not a particularly great writer. Um, And so I would write something and, you know, I had some of my friends look at it and they're like, that's not really exactly how we see or how we see this kind of driving you. This is more what I think about. And I would talk about it with my wife and I would realize sometimes it's true or sometimes I just needed to phrase it differently so that I could get my real point across. Uh, and so that took a lot of time for me to figure out what's my story. What am I hoping to get out of the NBA experience? Uh, but that ultimately led to, I think a really compelling essay that, um, someone at Harvard was compelled by. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say those are some, some points of
1: advice. Interesting. And, And coming up with that story, was that where a lot of the coaching came in that you mentioned that helped you formulate that or?
2: Yeah, I think the coaching was more: how do I take these principles or these these life experiences that are really impactful in my life, and how do I frame them in a way that tells a cohesive story? How do I frame yeah. them in a way that showcases my my experiences within business, but also my my desire to do good through my career um, throughout uh, my life? And and I didn't always know how to bring those things together. And so those coaches, um, you know, a couple of my friends, they really put. They, they gave me a backboard with which to, to kind of throw things off of.
1: Yeah. And when you mention coaches, is this like a, a formal service that you pay for or you're just seeking through your network experienced people who actually been there done that?
2: I think if you can pay for it, um there there are great people that do this as a job or do this oh, okay. as a living. I know uh one of my fellow MBA students at, at but he's at GSB, uh just started a company that does this. It's called Leland uh, and it's a little bit more affordable. Oh, okay. Um so I, I think there's real value there. Um, caveat: I was lucky to have people in my life that I think could fill that role, um, that you know were were willing to to do it for free or just because we were we were close. Um, but I, I I know I could not have got in without help, um, which I, I don't want to sound discouraging. I just want to reiterate like how grateful I am for their help and how much I think it helped me uh, yeah. to get to this stage.
1: Yeah. All right. So, uh, there you are at HBS now and what, uh, I, how, how far along are you in your, this journey?
2: I'm halfway through. So I just finished my first year and a summer internship. Uh, and I just started my second year classes, um, a little bit last week, but really today has been my first day of like full blown classes. Yeah. Um, and it's been amazing. So Harvard, uh, breaks up the years pretty distinctly. The first year is called the RC or the required curriculum where we all take the same classes, um, there's 10 classes uh, across, you know, marketing, supply chain, finance, accounting, all of the basic business topics. Um, and we take those together with our same section. So in my class, there's about a thousand students, but I took every single one of my classes first year with the same 93 students. Um, so we get to know each other super well Um it's, it's kind of fun as we dif- as we make comments to kind of expect what people are going to say and to hear them surprise you, uh, but also to learn so much from from a, a group of people that I really respect and really feel like I know at a personal level uh, was a really impactful experience. Yeah. Um, and then the second year is totally different, where it's all elective. Um, we choose our classes, which means we have a ton of new classmates that we've never heard from before. And so it's an even broader experience. Uh, broader set of experiences, but from a group of people that have learned how to uh, learn in the case method, if that makes sense. Um, However, yeah. teaches through the case method, which means we, we read a business case and then the professor asks us questions and, and we kind of teach each other. Um, and that takes a lot of practice, I think, to get down, which is why we have that first year to,
1: to figure it out. Uh, yeah. So It's been great so far. Anything that uh, has surprised you in this uh, as you're, that you didn't anticipate before starting?
2: Uh, I think the biggest thing that surprised me was how, I mean, people told me this would be the case and it still surprised me, but there's so many things that you can say yes to or so many amazing people to meet and so many incredible opportunities for you to have um, that it really takes prioritization and and figuring out what you want, which is hard when you don't know exactly what you want. Um, But there are so many cool people and so many cool startups and cool clubs and just an abundance of amazing things for you to take advantage of um, that, it, that it's almost overwhelming.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, I think, launches as often to some of your, your principles here is Then that first one being ruthlessly prioritizing uh, your, your time and focus and whatnot. Anything else you'd add to that principle?
2: So I, I put this one down actually at the beginning of my HBS experience as the thing that I wanted to do for my first year. Um, and I think I really struggled with it. Actually. I I kept saying yes to to different opportunities and to different people because I just didn't want to miss out on anything. Um, I did a ton of social things. I I tried to study really hard. I did, uh, you know, I helped run the the LDS MBA conference, which was incredible. Um, but I just, my to-do list kept growing. Um, and that took a toll, um, where I, I think, you know, I, I had incredible experiences my first year, um, I also had a really hard time personally, especially physically Um, in right before finals, my first semester. So like mid December, um, my son caught hand, foot and mouth at daycare. uh, And then I caught hand, foot and mouth from him. Um, And most grownups don't catch hand, foot and mouth because we have immune systems uh and i i think i had kind of worn myself down over that semester just saying yes to too many things where my immune system was pretty low so i caught hand foot and mouth the night before finals had to take my finals kind of remote um, or from a hotel because i was contagious um, and didn't want to affect my other kid Uh, and so that was a really tough experience Um, as soon as we got home from christmas break we all caught covid uh, and then about a month after I caught COVID, I got shingles, uh, which I'm also been told wow. that most grownups don't get my age. Um, so it just, it was a really heavy physical toll for me, kind of not prioritizing my time and focusing on the most important things that is sticking with me this year, where I'm trying to take a much more pragmatic approach about how I live as well as, you know, take care of my family and take care of business school and career and all of those things. So uh, it's, it's a, Principle that I've mentioned because it's something that I'm aspiring to.
1: Yeah, now that's a great, uh, a great point of, you know, oftentimes, you know, when we talk about health, you know, you want to eat a balanced diet and get some exercise in there. I know you're busy, but do that. But even including this, this focus or, or prioritization is a big component of your health. Like if, if you say yes to too much or try and do it all, it's going to uh, be taxing on, on your physical health and that will really make all things difficult no and you know as an undergrad when it was just me
2: that the repercussions of that weren't as big um but now that i'm married and have two kids like it changes everything right like my inability to be there for them uh causes stress on everyone else and and makes family life a lot harder and so um i think there's a a a reshifting of priorities across the board that has happened and, and will continue to happen
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Um, and all right, the next principle is uh, be present, giving your full attention to whatever activity is at hand. And you've touched on that a little bit.
2: Yeah. So I think this one stems from a little bit from having a lot of things to do, but, um, you know, my wife and I are both planning on careers that are pretty demanding. I'm going back into management consulting. She's going to do some clerkships for judges, uh, when we leave here, Uh, and those things are both, you know, taxing careers in and of themselves, but, um, but very demanding of our time. Uh, and so the thing that I've been learning over the past year and the the past few years is that you can still be an effective parent. You can still be an effective employee, employee, you can still be an effective friend, um, by focusing on the person or the people that you're interacting with when you're interacting with them, uh, Mm -hmm. and blocking out distractions. And so, you know, when I'm at school, I try to be 100% at school. Uh, when I'm with my kids, I try to be 100% with my kids, which means putting my phone away. Um, that is like the easiest trap for me is to just scroll ESPN when I'm with my boys. And <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a time waste, right? Like I, I can scroll ESPN later. Um, but focusing on being wherever I am, being 100% there has led to stronger relationships. Uh, even if I might not have as much time as I would like, um, I can make the time that I do have really valuable.
1: Yeah. And this uh, plays in another principle of, of defending, uh, defending your family. And, and mm-hmm. I guess, is that mainly in the context of just your, your focus and your time with your family, making sure you're, they, they still remember they have a father, even though he, he's in MBA school.
2: When I wasn't at my job or, or doing some service project or, or, you know, something with church uh, it was with my wife and it felt easy to, to kind of just have that flourish. Um, but when I introduced kids into it, um, there was just a lot more competing priorities Um, and I, I'm starting to realize more and more that that will always be there. And, and that relationship is the most important thing. I've always noticed the most important thing. I'm not articulating this very well, but everything else will come and go. My relationships with friends, my relationships with my employer, my relationships at school, those things are all more temporary to some extent than the relationship with my family. Um, And, you know, there are times when I might have to invest a little bit more in in my job or in my school, but if I don't defend my family, and I say defend because it's a very active word, it requires a lot of Mm -hmm. effort. If I don't defend those relationships in that institution, um, the the repercussions will be far worse than me prioritizing other things. So it's just a reminder to me that it takes active work to kind of defend that institution um, and to intentionally do things that strengthen that institution, um, because just kind of letting it happen in the fabric of my daily life, uh, won't work.
1: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you using that verbiage because, um, you know, you could just say, you know, just make sure you make time for your family, but this is like a, this takes a lot of focus and like you're, you're, a, you're a here at times. It's like, no, I'm, I'm literally going to make time for my family today, yeah. even though it may make this or that project difficult. Right.
2: If my wife and I don't book a date, I know it sounds trite, but if we don't, schedule a date on the calendar like it will not happen um yeah we watch tv together at night which is great and i'm not diminishing that um but like if we don't intentionally put time on the calendar to do an activity together and it can be staying at home and doing something else it doesn't have to be you know going out but if we don't like intentionally make that time it will get filled by 10 different things
1: yeah yeah for sure that's that's really helpful um all right, next, uh, I guess the final principle you have here is take care of yourself. And obviously, you learn that lesson uh, just from your physical health, but how else do you uh, take care of yourself and then forget yourself?
2: Yeah, so I think that, yeah, like I mentioned before, I, I haven't always done a good job taking care of my physical and mental and spiritual health. Um, I think all of those elements are important, but um, I think it's really important. And, and our kind of society has realized this over the last few years to take care of our, of our mental health and wellness. Um, I am someone that tends to kind of bottle in all of my stress and then, you know, shut down every three or four months after I can't handle it anymore. And I'm learning how to, to find outlets for that kind of frustration or that bottling in of a feeling Uh, through communication, through meditation, through whatever you call it, Um, through seeing a a therapist, like that is a a thing that has been huge in my life is being able to talk about these things with someone and have them kind of help me realize the conclusions that I need to come to. Um, So I think taking care of yourself is is hugely important. Um, Something that I haven't mentioned yet, but I I love fashion and I love kind of the fashion world and and, and men's fashion in particular. Uh, And so I'm a big fan of, you know, preparing for the day and trying to present myself and, and look the best I can. Um, but the second part of that principle is then forgetting yourself. Uh, and, I, and I can't remember who, there, were, there was a sister that you had to talk in general conference a few years ago where she talked about preparing herself for the day and doing her makeup and doing her hair and making sure that she looked the absolute best. And then as soon as she left the house, forgetting entirely about that and just focusing on others. And that's kind of the second part of this principle is we, we have to take care of ourselves or else we won't have the energy to you know, do everything we need to do. But, but once we've kind of filled our cup or once we've taken care of ourselves to then just go out and serve and go out and lift and go out and try to find people to bless, um, because without that part of it, we become so individualized and so focused on ourselves that we lose kind of the context of what it means to build Zion. And, and I think, I, I think you can't have one be fully effective without the other. You can't take care of yourself, and be the person that God needs you to be without forgetting yourself later. And you can't forget yourself fully or for as long as God needs you to, unless you've taken care of yourself and, and you're able to serve. And so I think those two things put together are for me, what kind of drives my day-to-day actions.
1: Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Any, um, I, I, I'm glad you brought up the the style and fashion, and this is something you picked up for your, your mission, is that right?
2: Yeah, I did. So in my mission, I still remember kind of, coming down the the escalator in the the Manchester airport where, where we went to the MTC and just seeing the men in suits around me. And I thought, you know, they look different than I do. And then I remember walking through the streets of London just thinking, wow, this is a completely different world. And of course, you know, my testimony was strengthened on my mission and I'm super grateful for that. But also my fashion <laughs> sense was totally, uh, I had a baptism of sorts uh, on my mission where I, I just learned a whole new world that, uh, that I was really excited about, and and then as I came home from my mission and started dabbling more into the fashion world, I've just fallen in love with it. Um, and so one of my my projects this semester is to start a, a men's fashion newsletter. So oh, hopefully, cool. hopefully that'll go somewhere. But uh, but I'm really excited about it. Um, it's it's become kind of a pet passion of mine. Pet yeah. project? I don't know, one of the two.
1: Yeah, and this is really applicable for uh, this audience. You know, going in a professional world, and it's sort of it's interesting in you know in 2022 where. it's you know, these hip companies, you know, you see, you know, Mark Zuckerberg in his hoodie or whatever, like it's, it's very casual and, and uh, sometimes it gets gets a bad rap, but at the same time it's like, well, that's where it's headed. You know, we're done with the suit and tie thing. But I mean, what advice or is there, are there any resources other than your upcoming uh, newsletter? Uh, but any, like if someone wants to just have a good grasp of professional fashion, uh, anything you'd recommend?
2: Um, there are, there are lots of websites and lots of men's blogs. You can just Google like, men's fashion blog and you'll find you know 20 or 30 um i think it's about finding things that fit you well um i think from what i've heard from my male friends and from uh their wives i've heard a lot of feedback from wives uh that it's important to find things that fit you well especially to find pants and shirts that that aren't too loose or too baggy or or too tight um but to find things that fit well uh that you look that are sorry that you feel good wearing um because ultimately I think the, the the reason I love fashion so much especially for men is that it can change kind of your attitude of how you see yourself um, mm-hmm. and and really help you to feel confident and presentable um, and so I think finding things that fit and finding things that you feel good wearing that are that are very presentable is kind of the
1: the place to start No it's so true like if I put on a suit that fits really well like I feel invincible it's crazy you feel invincible, yeah. right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and, it, and it's a, I love wearing suits for that reason. I feel like yeah. I look amazing and, and it's right. a great experience.
1: Yeah. For some reason, uh, my suits don't fit as well as they used to. I don't know if they're shrinking, if something's happening in my closet. I don't know, but uh, I'll, have talk to, <laughs> that's right, I'll have to find a, a tailor for sure. Um, awesome. Anything, well, tell me about the, uh, the dynamics of being a Latter-day Saint and going to church and you have a calling. And I mean, what do you do with all that? I mean, uh, during business school or, or have you sort of, do they, do they leave you alone? Uh, (laughs) Um,
2: so my ward is super, uh, interesting in that it's probably 30 to 40%. uh, That's probably too high. It's probably about 25% HBS Mm -hmm. associated people. Uh, uh, I'd say 75% grad school affiliated. So you have this small core of people that have been here. You're going to laugh at this. Uh, for like three or four years. Um, And then you have 75% that have been here less than two years. Um, So even the old people in the ward are not that old uh, in terms of how long they've been in the ward. Um, So it's a really unique dynamic where we have a bunch of people that are trying to get to know each other and then they leave super quickly. Uh, But because of that, it's kind of all hands on deck all the time. Um, So if I think about my MBA classmates, um, so I'm the elders quorum uh, activities director and the ward chorister. Um, and then, uh, one of my classmates, she is the Relief Society counselor. Um, another one is the executive secretary. We have, uh, a membership clerk. Uh, we have a court, uh, sacrament court coordinator, um, kind of all across the board. Oh, a PhD student is in the state high council. So we, we certainly get involved and, and they, they put us to good use.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, obviously MBA school, they often. You know, any MBA school uh, experiences often the the networking is highlighted, right? One of the great benefits of MBA school. But as a Latter day Saint, especially as you go to uh, maybe more prominent MBA school like HBS, where I mean, this the local faith community or the ward almost adds an, an additional layer to that networking on because not only, you know, as I've interviewed different people, not only are they associating with other students, but sometimes there's faculty in their ward and, and just some really great people to connect with and mentors and, and things like that, that really enhance that experience. Is that yeah, a good way to say it? Yeah, has been amazing.
2: Um, there there are LDS faculty at, at Harvard Business School, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, there are people... Boston is a great area and most cities with major MBA programs are, are incredible this way, but we have people at Boston college, Boston university, yeah. like kind of all the schools doing different and amazing things. Um, that, for instance, I secured my, my internship this summer, uh, not through my MBA program, but through someone in my ward who knew the founder of this company. And so that was, you know, now that's part of my network and he was so generous to to share that connection with me. But it just goes to show that like, it's it's not just about your MBA program or wherever you are, but as you invest in the church community there, it will open the door to more opportunities.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, Richard, anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we mention before we wrap up? I got one more question for you, but actually two, but...
2: Yeah, I can't think of anything.
1: Okay. All right. So I guess one question I have is, when's the last time you played your bassoon?
2: Oh, it's been too long. Uh, Pre COVID. Oh, Unfortunately, um, Mm -hmm. I I played a few times when we were in Dallas for ward activities, which was really fun. Um, And then the pandemic hit in D.C., uh, and so I didn't really get an opportunity to play there. And then after that, we came here to business school, and uh, I I have it. I know exactly where it is. I just haven't (laughs) broken it out yet, uh, which which is a real shame. The problem is, Kurt, it's not like the the guitar or the piano where you can just play at any moment. Um, I play the piano, but not well. Uh, but the bassoon is, is very, very niche. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, so, I was going to uh, ask, like, I don't know if it's like a solo instrument that you'd play a sacrament musical number or something, but
2: last time I did actually was, was in church in, in oh, Dallas. Really? Uh, it's oh, not
1: nice.
2: like no one wants to hear the bassoon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Hey, there's a, a special group out there. of You, uh, bassoon, <laughs> uh, musicians. <so. laughs> nice. Well, last question I have for you, Richard, is you, uh, as you're in the midst of this experience and the, the the past experience you've had of going through this journey of your undergrad and now into uh, business school, if you're in a room full of young professionals, other MBA students, what uh, final encouragement would you give them?
2: I think I would give them a few points of uh, encouragement. One is that your MBA program does not define you, um, which I get is easy for me to say, I got into HBS, woohoo! but like, That's not the point. The point is, I think what president Nelson talked about in either this last general conference or the conference before that, like our number one identity is, is being children of God. Um, And and that has so much more influence over who we are and the things that we do and the impact that we make than our MBA program that we get into or that we don't get into. Um, And I think I saw this, especially if I go back to consulting, like two of the people I was closest to had like the best interview of their lives at you know, McKinsey or or whatever, and didn't get the job. Um, and they are like the smartest people I know that are now doing incredible things. Uh, and like not getting into a big three consulting firm did not inhibit them at all. Um, and so not to say that you shouldn't have this dream of, of getting into a certain business school or going to a certain firm. Um, but if you get in or don't get in to not let that define your identity, because there are more important identities, like being a son of God or a uh, father and a husband, um, so I'd say that is is the first thing. And then the second thing is kind of on the flip side: like you can do it. Um, there are people in my business school program from all walks of life, from all different um, experiences, from low-income families, from uh, from high-income, <laughs> plenty from high-income families, uh, but but from kind of every walk of life. And don't sell yourself short because of your experiences. Like you can do anything. Um, you can't do everything, but you, you can do anything. Um, and so to lean into to kind of what makes you strong and what makes you you, uh, and that will lead you to where you need need to be. It might not be the place you want to be initially, but, um, but it might become that. So I think those two pieces of advice.
0: Thank you for listening to the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. Check out the show notes for more information about our guests and visit latterdaysaintmba.com to find details about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society.